Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello folks, you're all very welcome back to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen. Today on the show, which is episode 51, my guest will be David Potter. David, who hails from Fife, has seen it all at Celtic. A Celtic fan from an early age, he's seen the highs, the lows, the success and the failure. And he's written over 30 books on Celtic and I believe 40 books in total. I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Blarney Windows and the Pack Lavin Cork Number no. 1 Celtic Supporters Club for the continued support of the podcast and the fans in. Thanks very much, boys. I hope you're all keeping well down in Cork. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and the fanzine and would like to become a sponsor, you can email us at info at celticfanzine.com and as always, you can contact us through the website or message us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. If you're a listener or a reader or both and you like what we're doing and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting celticfanzine.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. We promise no one wanted adverts on our website, in our articles and no one wanted advert interruptions during this podcast. We're keeping it real, we're keeping it independent and with your support we can continue to do so. We can also continue to produce quality independent fan journalism, podcasts, video content, live events and of course the fanzine. If you're not in a position to financially support us, don't worry about it. We'll still deliver the same content to all fans free of charge. Folks, keep all the comments coming in and suggestions for guests. And here's a few which came in since the last couple of episodes and the release of issue 112 of the fanzine. Absolutely fantastic show with David Lowe. Love the little quips he made about Ian McLean and the dig at Sevco. Pure class of a man and he's one of our own. Great interview. Keep up the great work, Millish. And that comes in from Mick Scanlon in Dublin. Thanks, Mick. And thanks for your donation to support the fans in. Great podcast with Charlie Lord, Millish. And that comes in from Mark Donnelly, a dub now living in Glasgow. Declan McLaughlin's song at the end of the show was a cracker. Fair play, just for getting him on. That comes in from Hilly from the league. Hilly, you'll be delighted to know that Declan has given us permission to use one of his other songs at the end of the show today. My copy arrived in Sunderland yesterday. Difficult to put it down. A superb read as ever. So many articles including the recent League Cup win over Hearts, the Maradona tribute, 
a must read John Fallon column, the Tommy Doc tribute, the Donegal and Celtic landmark article, etc., etc. No wonder the paper version sold out so quickly. And that was in from Tony in Sunderland. Thanks again, Tony, for your comments and thanks for buying the fans in. Much appreciated. I know you're one of our subscribers. Yeah, another top interview. Love to hear Charlie talking about meeting Lenny at the train station and when he was in the early stages of his football career and on loan at Crewe. Speaking about his love for Celtic and the Republic of Ireland, new US President Joe Biden, admirations for Wolf Town. Charlie celebrated the quadruple treble appropriately with Irish whiskey. And Charlie rightly points out the huge positivity of recent seasons for Celtic fans despite the turmoil of the current season. And that again comes in from Tony in Sunderland. Cheers, Tony. Thanks very much for all the love and the comments. Love the podcast with Charlie Lord. Living in Banagat, New Jersey, born in Greenwich, Scotland, home of the world-famous Celtic Supporters Club. Great interview with the irrepressible Celtic star with Charlie Lord. Interesting to hear his viewpoint on the recent US elections, his meeting with Neil Lennon and his views on the current situation at Parkhead. And that comes in from Billy McDonald. Andrew, great show, mate. Love the variety in it. Your recent podcasts have made me join the Celtic Trust. And that comes in from Barry McDonald and Logan from the Logan Number 1 Celtic Supporters Club. Fair play to you, Barry, joining the Trust. And then the last one comes in here I have is, this is superb. Can you let me know how much a subscription is? And that comes in from Gary, who obviously picked up a copy of the fanzine somewhere. So thank you, Gary, and thanks for your subscription. With no game last weekend, we had to wait till Wednesday night to see the boys back in action against relegation candidates Hamilton, who I'm told were 20 to 1 to win the game. And after that, watching them last night, I can see why. It proved to be a handy evening for the players, for Hamilton showing just why they are propping up the table. Griffin Eddie scored one goal in each half, but with a bit more composure in front of goal, Celtic could have had a bag full. They could have three or four more in the first half alone. The lucky lotto draw took place once again in the dressing room for the goalkeeper's jersey, with Scott Bain being the lucky one this time. How long he holds onto the jersey is anyone's guess, but if the rest of the season is anything to go by, I wouldn't be getting too comfortable, Scott. But fair play, you did, you did keep a clean sheet. Elsewhere, Hibs versus their Rangers was a case of the new team, same old honest mistakes, from the three blind mice officiating. Morales' stamp and the penalty claims were just all honest mistakes, but that's what Clancy and Cole will tell us. Best of luck to Jeremy Frimpong, who heads for Germany after signing for Bayern Leverkusen, as the club cashed in on the youngster who was said to have asked for the transfer. He excited us when he burst onto the scene, but in more recent times, the opinion of the Celtic fans has been split on just how good he is. But anyway, best of luck to your kid, and I'd say Peter now is very thankful with that cashback bonus. David Potter hails from Fife and he has seen it all as a Celtic fan. The highs, the lows, the success, the failure. He's written 40 books, including 30, on his beloved Celtic and is a regular contributor to more than 90 minutes on our website, CelticFanzine.com. Hi David, you're very welcome back to the Celtic Soul podcast. A positive result on Wednesday night after a disappointing season in Europe and domestically to a backdrop of an empty Celtic park, a very frustrated fan base who are looking for change throughout the club from the suits in the boardroom to the tracksuits in the dugout. Ah, fair comment, yes. Um, I think that uh, last night's performance was, um, well, I've already said this morning that uh, Nicholas Sturgeon talks about cautious optimism as far as the cases in the coronavirus virus epidemic goes, uh, I think we can maybe say from last night it was cautious optimism, but it is cautious. 
at place. We were not playing one of the better teams in the league, let's be honest. But on the other hand, we took our goals well and you couldn't really have said that they let themselves down at all. It was a, a competent victory, but it was a victory. Yeah, they looked very comfortable. You can see why Hamilton are propping up the table. They didn't really have a lot going on. And no. I think if Celtic were a bit more composed in front of goal, we, we would have had a, a bag full of goals. I'm actually expecting a better game on Saturday against St Mirren because from what I've seen of St Mirren in their uh, League Cup semi-final last week, which I watched on television, I mean, we're unlucky to lose that one, I think. But they're also uh, quite an attack-minded team. And therefore, they might give us a wee bit, a wee uh, bit more opportunities at the, at the back, at their back, you know. So we might get a better game on Saturday. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, and we, like on Wednesday night's game, we're Hamilton. Just before we move on, we kept a clean sheet, but we again we have uh, the revolving goalkeeper. Have you ever seen yeah. a season where we've had so many goalkeepers, yeah. three now in and out, yeah, and none yeah. of them can hold down a place? I think, I mean, I don't think Scott Bain had a good game last night. It was at least two bad errors I, I, I saw last night. But I think he's probably the best of the three. I would I would stick with Scott Bain meantime. That would that be my view. Yeah, the, the, the Barkas thing just hasn't worked out. It's just been, no. um, I think I can remember one save um, against Ross County away. That's the only one that sticks out, one right. when he got down low. Apart from that, I can't really remember much more. But look, we did get a clean sheet, which is, is a rarity these days. And um, obviously, over or up in Edinburgh, there was, you kind of look on and wonder how, how a referee and two linesmen can miss a stamp and a penalty. But then again, David, I know, I know. as you've told me many Many times there's a lot of uh, invisible referees in, in, oh, in Scottish oh, football. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think uh, last night, I think he will catch it for last night, though. I think, I don't know, do they still have this compliance officer? Or did they say, but I think you can't really uh, avoid that one. That one was uh, quite a bad one. I think you'll suffer for that one. Yeah, but it's nice to get her after you played at 90 minutes and, and, and scored with the winning goal. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah. Well, anyway, look, we, we, won't, um, we won't dwell too much on um, this week because I want to go back in history with you because I always avoid you on or I always, I'm always getting on to you for tributes when someone dies for the fanzine and it'd be just nice to maybe pay our respects to a couple of people who have had a connection with Celtic and have passed away. Two of them I wouldn't have seen playing and with Dr. Joseph Engloss, that was my time. I was around for that season. And also, we pay tribute to Tommy Doherty, passed away recently, and Shuggy, uh, and I hope I pronounce it right, Edvaldson. Is Edvaldson. that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, Either Edvaldson or Edvaldson, it wouldn't matter. Edvaldson, who passed away recently as well. Um, so, as I said, I've asked you on the podcast to pay tribute to all three. Now, I remember Tommy Doherty when I was a kid, and he was Man United manager. And I remember watching the FA Cup final. And that's really all the, you know, the memories I have of, of Tommy Doherty. And it was only when I was reading the tributes to him when he passed away that I realised um, how close he was to, to Sally Park, a gobbles man. But I didn't, I didn't really know much more about this Glasgow boy. So hopefully you'll be able to fill myself and the listeners in, David. I wouldn't say that I know an awful lot about him. I mean, he only played a handful of times for for Celtic in the late 40s and even I'm not old enough to really remember that but I do remember him playing very well for Scotland having several very very good games for Scotland as a as a right half and of course he was right half for Preston North End as well he was a, he had a good pedigree as a player as a manager he, he annoyed me so much because he just couldn't settle down any place 
You know, he had, uh, they used to say that he had more clubs than what Jack Nicholas, the golfer, had. You know, because he was always moving about, and uh, his best managing, I think, was with Chelsea. I think it was his first club. I think uh, he was a good manager there. With Man United, uh, well, he did get them relegated, I suppose, but he brought them back and they won uh, uh, the FA Cup. And uh, and then a sort of typical Scottish piece of self-destruction, you know, when he'd, when he'd won the FA Cup, he managed to get himself on the tabloids for having an affair with a woman. You know, it was typical sort of, you know, at the peak of his career when you felt that Manchester United were really going to go on and, uh, and do things and be as good as what they had been under Matt Busby or as good as they would become under Alec Ferguson. Uh, but then that happened and uh, I, in some ways I feel that Tommy was a, a very unfortunate character, but he did bring so much of it on himself. There was something very lovable about him, though. I met him uh, once when he was so... Must have been in his eighties, you know, and uh, he was very, very lovable, very likable, and uh, very typically Glasgow, you know, tough. But um, uh, you know, he, he he didn't take any prisoners. He, he wasn't that sort of guy, you know. But he, he was nice and sociable, as, as Glasgow people tend to be. And as you said, his, his career at Celtic was short, and um, back in the forties, what was what was the the Celtic team like back then when 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 Tommy was playing? Pretty poor, pretty poor. Um, this was the 1948-49 uh, time, and the only real good player that they had, uh, in my view, around about that time, would have been Bobby Evans. Bobby Evans was uh, he he'd come good about that time, and then of course the same Charlie Tully in 1948. And he made a difference, but but Charlie Tully was a bit like Jimmy Johnston uh, in the sense that he was never you couldn't rely on him to have a good game. I mean, I, I always thought about the 1960 team, for example, that you could rely on Murdoch to have a good game, but you couldn't always rely on Jimmy to have a good game. But when Jimmy was good, he was very good. And I felt the same about Charlie Tully, whom I never really saw. I think I only saw him the once. But my father always used to say this about Charlie Tully that you could never really rely on him. To have a to, have, to always have a good game, but when he was good, he was very good. Am I right in saying that Tommy managed Scotland? He did manage Scotland, yes, indeed, and he, he made a very good job of it. And he he, he suddenly uh, left them to go to Manchester United, and a lot of people like myself felt a wee bit betrayed about that because we felt that Scotland were at last beginning to to come good. This was the early seventies. He, uh, I think he had, I think they'd beaten Denmark in the World Cup. Um, a qualifying campaign of, for the 1974 World Cup and I think it was then that he got the offer to Manchester United and uh, he just suddenly uh, took it and uh, a lot of us felt a wee bit um, betrayed by him because he'd said the right things about Scotland. He took Jim McCallagh to Man United with him because obviously he he, he, he know Jim through Scotland but Jim yeah, was on he? the podcast as well and when he did pass oh. away I seen Jim had some nice tributes uh-huh. up and some nice pictures up on, on social media with the doc mm-hmm. so he obviously had a close relationship with him and then I suppose David then Shuggy Icelandic international I was a surprise back in 75 because at this stage you're well you know you're, you're well on your way you, you know we, if we leave the 40s behind with the dock you were definitely around in the 70s David oh very much so yes very much so I was around in uh, in the 70s I would have to say that I took a wee bit of time before I really fell in love with Shuggy 
Um, basically, the big problem about Shuggy, and indeed with Roddy McDonald as well, was they just weren't Billy McNeil. You know, we'd seen some great defending from Billy McNeil. Billy McNeil was was always my favourite, I think, in some ways always will be. Um, but uh, uh, Ed Valdson and, uh, and McDonald, they just weren't, weren't Billy McNeil. And his arrival also coincided, rather unfortunately for him, with uh, the car crash which involved Jock Steen. And Jock, of course, was... Uh, it was out of action for the whole of the 75-76 season and Sean Fallon was the manager. And um, uh, he could have done with having... Um, Shuggy could have done with having Jock as his manager, I think. Yeah, well, was it a surprise back then, David, to see um, an Icelandic player or an international player because oh, yeah. most of the players then who had, who had played for Celtic up till then, with the exceptions of a few, had been homegrown or Irish. That's right. Either Scottish or Irish, or or Scottish with Irish names. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the Glasgow Irish, the Glasgow Irish, yes, indeed, and uh, and it was most unusual for uh, players not to come from that uh, particular uh, background. But uh, I, I mean, nobody knew who he was um, when he when he arrived. He didn't have a great season his first season, but but he did actually. He did actually come good in the 76 to 77 season. There was this distinct improvement on him. And I think a lot of it was to do with the fact that he was playing alongside uh, people like Pat Stanton. Now, Pat Stanton was signed by Jock in 76 from Hibs. And it was one of Jock's best ever signings because Stanton was a man who just knew the game. And he, he was able to infect people and to make good players, great players. And I think Shuggy certainly, um, uh, you know, uh, relished this uh, opportunity to play beside Stanton and all the time learning from people like Jock Steen. Yeah, to, <laughs> to follow Billy McNeil is no uh, main fee. As you said, your favourite player and, and one, of the, one of the Celtic greats. And with Jock out of the picture as well, did he suffer from any, any like, from the fans um, if he was having a bad game? Because obviously, when someone comes in to replace the likes of Billy yeah. McNeil, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not never going to be easy. No, yes, I think he did get a wee bit of stick. Yes, he did get a wee bit of stick. Sometimes, for um, Celtic fans, can be quite irrational. Sometimes they can they can pick on the wrong players. Sometimes when there's something else going wrong, and pick on somebody who's maybe not quite so bad, but uh, still not having a great game, and they tend to pick on him. And I think Ed Valdson uh, suffered a wee bit because of that. But uh, he came through it and uh, he gradually earned the respect and indeed the love of quite a lot of the, uh, of, of, of the fans. He, his, his 76 to 77 season was obviously uh, very good. And then 77 to 8, of course, that was the season in which we were beat before we started, simply because we sold Kenny Dalgleish. We sold Kenny Dalgleish just uh, about three days before the season started. And that need not have been uh, um, a huge problem if we'd taken the money immediately and bought somebody else to replace him. But we didn't. I mean, the money just seemed to go straight into the director's pockets. And uh, uh, Jock eventually uh, bought a few players. The only good one was uh, Tom McAdam, uh, who became quite a good centre-half, uh, but we never really replaced Doug Leash. And the team... Uh, never really um, uh, got going that particular season. And it was also badly affected, of course, because there was injuries to Pat Stanton and Alfie Conn, both of who had played very well 
in the 1977 season. I'm going to just ask you a little about um, that team. Obviously, it must have been a, a pleasure to watch um, that team as well. as the, the, What a great team to follow the Lions. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You, you mean uh, it's over the early 70s or the... Well, well, I suppose when you mentioned Doug Leishdale, you know, Danny McGrain, yeah. there's yeah, some yeah, yeah. passed on. There's some great players come true to follow on from, you know, the Lions. And uh, Jock yeah. seemed to, you know, he seemed to filter through. But um, as you said, Doug Leish was, was sold three days before and the money went into the director's pockets. And I, the last time I had you on, Dave, and people can check out that podcast, you did... Uh, you did have a lot of words to say about um, the Kelly clan and and people who are running the club over the years. So it's uh, not new to hear you saying that. Yeah. Quite quite unforgivable some of the things they did actually because they they they, uh, they betrayed the trust of the supporters. Uh, they certainly did, and uh, as I say, a lot of it, what they did was really quite unforgivable. And um, it's it's not true that there never is an excuse for Celtic not being uh, at least as good as Rangers and probably better. There never really is an excuse for that. And uh, so often the Kellys, particularly in the early nineties, uh, where they just basically lay down the Rangers, and uh, I found that very very uh, unforgivable. And uh, the 1970s was a bit like that as well. Disappointing. Yeah, very much so, yes. And when, when you see players like, like the Gleish leaving and I suppose Macari left as well in the, in the 70s, like in the 60s, the team stayed together and the great players all stayed until I suppose they were coming to the, the, the tail end of their careers. But the yeah. 70s was different. The 70s was, we became a selling club then, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that it was to do with the players themselves. Because the players, if you think about it, when you're playing in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, you have been brought up uh, in the welfare state. You have, um, and there's a certain feeling of sort of freedom and you can please yourself and you're not so thrilled to the old ideas and the old concepts. The players who played in the uh, um, in Lisbon, certainly, most of them were born during the Second World War. And uh, they felt that, you know, playing for Celtic uh, is, uh, you know, the apex. You can't get any further than playing for Celtic. I mean, most of them were themselves Celtic daft. And if they weren't Celtic daft, they soon became so. And uh, there was never any great um, feeling that uh, Celtic players were going to uh, exodus from Celtic Park in the 1960s. In the 1970s, you were never so sure. I mean, Macari left, Gleish left, he left, uh, all these people did. And uh, it was a shame because the 1970s, the early 1970s, I think, could have even won the European Cup with a bit of luck. They came very close to it. I mean, they reached the semi-final on, I think, three occasions. And... Um, had bad luck on, 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 on several several times and they could have won the European Cup again. But by the but the the transfer of Dalglish in nineteen seventy seven seemed to say to me that the directors are no longer interested in winning the European Cup. And of course to ask a man like Ed Valdson, who with all due respect to him, uh, was no was not a great player. He was a good player. He wasn't a great player. And to ask him to fill a void, to be part of a team that was filling the void uh, of 10 years previously was maybe just asking him a bit too much. But on the other hand, uh, Shuggy did have his moments, not least in the 4-2 game in 1979 when the 10 men won the league. 
Yeah, he won he won two leagues and two Scottish Cups. Is that correct? Uh, I think just the one Scottish Cup, was it not? I think it was just 1977. Oh, I could, be, I, I could uh, stand corrected then, Dave. And you know the Scottish Cups. Uh, I think so. I think it was just 1977. I would have to look that one up. But I think he'd gone by 1980 and he hadn't arrived by 1975. So I think it's just 1977 that he won the Scottish Cup. I have to go on to my researcher. He's, he's, I shall, he's, I shall he's messed up on that one. You're normally my researcher, so I should have asked you first. Like we said there, that was unusual for a, an international player to come. Just for the listeners, David, can you just swing back and just, to your memory, you know, players that came in from outside the British Oil and Ireland over the years before before Sugar came, because obviously now we're an international team now, but back then, you know, there's been a couple who've come in over the years, hasn't there? From uh, from uh, outside of Scotland and Ireland? Yeah. Uh, you mean before Valson? Yeah. Not a lot spring to mind. There was, of course, uh, the American goalkeeper, Joe Kennewey, Canadian goalkeeper, I think he was, uh, Joe Kennewey back in the 1930s. But generally speaking, until... Uh, you know, the later years, it has been Scottish and Irish uh, players who've played for Celtic uh, at Celtic. So what uh, I want, because I asked you on the hop there, Dave, I wanted to research now what players we brought in because I, I can picture a few. But there was an Indian player barefooted, was there? Oh yes, that was Abdul Salim. Abdul Salim, who's uh, um, there's a there's a biography being written about him, by the way, by uh, a famous Indian cricket author called Mihir Bose. I haven't heard any much about that. I, I, I went to see Mahir Bose uh, about and told them what I knew about Abdul Salim, which was not really very much because he never played a first-team game. There was also, of course, Gilbert Heron, uh, who was the first um, uh, black person to play for uh, Celtic, as far as I'm aware. He did play a few games in, uh, um, in the early 1950s. He was West Indian. I think it was Jamaica, maybe, maybe Trinidad. I can't remember, but West Indian, certainly. So, so like, so as I said, like it was a kind of a, a probably a, probably a shock to sign, especially an Icelandic player because it's yeah, not a place sorry. at the time they they've improved, you know, big time in recent years. But it's not exactly it wasn't back then. It wasn't a football hotbed. No, 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 it wasn't. No, but but as you see, they have improved certainly. You know, they've they um, they have improved. Yeah, unlike my country, Ireland, who seems to be going backwards. <laughs> you said there that Shuggy won won um, two leagues in the Scottish Cup, and I, and I stand corrected if it is two. Um, but one of them was, of course, the famous four two, which you mentioned. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But a Monday night, David Potter sells his ticket and doesn't go to the game. That's right. That's yes, right. I'm very ashamed of myself for that. Uh, I had a ticket for when the game was due to be played in January, but I honestly thought around about uh, March that uh, uh, we weren't going to win the league. And somebody said to me, I can't remember who he was, but somebody said to me, uh, are you still holding on to your ticket? And I says, no, you can have it because I'd love to be played in midweek which, of course, was very difficult for me because my wife tended to work in the evenings and so on, and I had, uh, had a wee girl to look after. So it was very difficult for me to get in midweek anyway, so I decided, ah, oh, well, there you go. And in fact, I wasn't played until 21st of May, which, of course, is not far off from midsummer. And um, I said, oh, no, I don't ever play the league and, and even actually as late as um, two weeks before, I didn't think they were going to win the league because they lost to Rangers at Hamden. They lost the Rangers at Hamden on something like the 5th of May, I believe. Um, and uh, the Ibrox has been redeveloped. And uh, that seemed to me to just to kill them. That seemed to me to kill any sort of challenge. 
but they stuck to their task. And lo and behold, we suddenly realised that if they won the game on Monday, they would actually uh, win the league. And uh, they duly did. And uh, a thing that should have given us a wee bit of encouragement was that um, uh, Rangers were playing Hibs in the Scottish Cup final. And I think Rangers had played the first game and then the second game. And uh, the third game was actually played a week after the 4-2 game, if I remember. I've got my dates correct. And uh, I remember watching the first game on television between Rangers and Hibs. And I thought, you know, neither of these two teams are very good. You know, I thought that Celtic could quite easily have beaten Rangers, you know. And, and, and Rangers, though, they, they weren't a good team in 1979, uh, I didn't think. Uh, funnily enough, I actually uh, think that Rangers were not a bad team in 1967, uh, when, <laughs> in spite of, you know, all things that happened to us in 1967. I thought they weren't a bad team then at all. But in 1979, they were not a great side at all, you know, as, of course, we proved. And um, that particular game... It was very annoying because it wasn't on television. It wasn't even on radio. And uh, there was no computer. There was no teletext. There was no way of finding out what was going on until at last uh, Angela Rippon, who was the news reader on the BBC. And I immediately fell in love with her that night because she said that Celtic have won the league by winning 4-2. And uh, what I remember that was seconds later, uh, my phone rang, and this was my father on the phone chortling away. I knew they would do it and things like that. Why did you sell your ticket, you stupid bugger? And things like that, you know. <laughs> but uh, I certainly, um, and that particular night, I remember it's one of the few nights in my life that I wasn't able to sleep for sheer happiness. And uh, I got up early in the morning and took my dog for a walk. It was a beautiful morning, the Tuesday morning, uh, and he was charging about the public parks in Kirkcaldy, uh, waiting for the news agents to open. I think the news agents opened at about half past six in the morning. And I remember going to the news agent and buying the Daily Record, the Daily Express, <laughs> a whole lot of them, you know, because uh, you really didn't know much about the game at all uh, on, on that Monday night. Yeah, we had we had George McCluskey on the podcast, and he spoke about um, the sending off and uh-huh. the dressing room, you know, winning, and the next day, and it, it is it's kind of one of them. Um, and you've even added to the fairy tale now: no TV, no radio, waiting for right. the newspapers the next day. Uh-huh. Like it was just it's just such a brilliant, brilliant story. Yes, yes, yes. And, and the comeback, yeah. as you say, two, week, two weeks previous, you, you didn't think, you thought it was all over. And then oh, my, oh my, uh, it must have been, I tell you one thing, I wouldn't say there was many people up at 6.30 the next morning because I'd say Glasgow, I'd say there was some party in Glasgow that night. Well, I mean, I can't remember whether I drank that night or not, probably not, because it was meant to be, be looking after my, uh, my wee girl. But uh, uh, I certainly didn't sleep. I was certainly so excited, you know, that uh, you know you, you often can't sleep because uh, you're annoyed or upset or frustrated about something, you know. But uh, no, I was just, uh, you know, I was just walking on air and cursing myself a wee bit for not having gone, you know. <laughs> you know, maybe later on in my time machine, I can, t- I can drop you off there on my way back from wherever you pick. <laughs> now, unlike unlike you, I I I wasn't. Uh, well, I was. I definitely wasn't around to see the doc, but um, I was only. I was only a nipple when 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 Shuggy was playing. But I was around when Doctor Joseph Engloss, who we, we knew little about, became 
Celtic manager after Wim Janssen and obviously we had the, the great success on the whim of stopping the 10 and we won the League Cup that year and it was he was a hero and then he was gone and, mm-hmm. and it was it was it was Dr. Joe that replaced him. And I remember um the media in Scotland kind of ridiculing Celtic for appointing the doctor because they didn't obviously you know a lot about him. They were you know he was an old man, he was this but I suppose his legacy is a little bit more track he signed. He also signed Mialbi, both big successes at the club. He also signed Mark Faduka, who we all know spit the duty at the pram. One off the radar when um, someone reminded me, Vida Risa. And I actually saw Vida Risa singing on stage with all his family, suited and booted, after a game in the brazen head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. When he joined Charlie and the boys on on the stage, I I, I, right. I, presume, yeah, yeah. I think it was the fields of Atten Roy, but I was um, I was quite drunk that night. But I do remember there was um, it was coming up. I think it was coming up to the the cup final, and uh, they had t-shirts on sale behind the bar. And if I can remember, it was Celtic versus the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, Hugh Dallas was the referee, and. Mm-hmm. Um, in reference to uh, bias referees in Scotland, which still continues to this day when we look at the Hibs Rangers game on, on last night. So, what was your um, early memories of uh, the doctor coming and Wim Janssen leaving? Uh, my emotions were funny. Um, obviously, I was very upset that uh, Wim Janssen leaving because he had, he had done a good job. What annoyed me was the long time that Celtic then took to appoint Joe Vingloss. I remember that summer of 1999, the paper's always saying, somebody's going to be manager, somebody's going to be manager, somebody's going to be manager. And then this guy called Joe Vingloss, who actually had not a bad pedigree in European and world football, uh, but nobody had heard of him. And uh, he did suffer from several things. Uh, One was that he wasn't really given the summer to prepare, and you need to prepare your players in the summer. He needs to get to know the squad. You need to, you, you need to do that. Um, he was also very unfortunate in that he wasn't Wim Janssen, whom the, I think the players loved Wim Janssen. Uh, but uh, he also had this ongoing business about Jock Brown being in the background. And then, of course, there was the rather unfortunate uh, um, wages dispute or a bonus dispute um, between some of the players who should have known a lot better uh, and the management, which maybe didn't directly affect Joe Vengloss, but he was certainly in the middle of it. I mean, Joe Vengloss, for example, only managed Celtic in one League Cup tie. He only he was the only manager for Celtic one League Cup tie where they lost the Airy. Never again managed Celtic in a League Cup game, and. Um, it, they never really got going that season, I'm afraid. You know, they never really got going. There was just so much going on in the background. And, of course, there was the unfortunate thing about Mark Viduka. Now, that man, I just couldn't make out at all. I used to laugh when people told me what his name was when spelt backwards, which was, I could have. And um, uh, it just, uh, it was just depressing, you know, that uh, he was coming, he wasn't coming, he came, he was injured, then he was he was mentally unprepared, and he went way back to Australia, or goodness knows where. And it just struck me that that the Duke is he's not a Celtic player because if you have a chance to play for Celtic, uh, you take it with uh, both hands. And uh, he was he just frankly didn't do it, you know, didn't do it for me at all. I'm afraid. And I think poor Joe Vingloss, who had only had this one 
season. Had he been in, in position for a wee bit longer, he might have been able to handle some of these problems. But as it was, um, uh, he really struggled. He did have his one great game, though, the 5-1 game against Rangers in November, which I certainly remember. And uh, that was one of my, uh, my one of my best games, I would have to say. And, of course, Lubo Moravchik, who was just a superb wee football player. A superb football player. And I, I wouldn't have a bad word said about Lubo at all. It was a very uplifting experience, the 5-1 win. Oh, and when, was, you, when yes. you think Lubo was also ridiculed by the press when he arrived. He was, yes. Yeah, yeah. He fairly but, shut uh, them up, didn't he? I, he did indeed. Yes, he did indeed. But uh, but no, that particular uh, uh, that particular season, just uh, things didn't really gel as well as they could have. And I think it's probably true that Rangers had a better team in 1999 than they had in 1998. Not that that's any sort of excuse for us, because I say there's no excuse for Celtic not being as good as Rangers and even better, but it was really a rather uh, depressing season. And I also felt that poor Joe uh, wasn't really given uh, much of a chance I think it was most unfair uh, the way it, you know, but 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 we did learn from that because uh, um, after that, well, there was another disaster in the meantime. But after that, we did appoint uh, Martin O'Neill, who was good. You mentioned there uh, just before we move on to the five-one. At least the club made a few quid because they brought a video out. Which I think I still have it in the attic somewhere. I think I remember it. Yes, I think I remember it. Yeah, yeah. Five star boys, I think it was called. Uh, so, but as you say, we learned, but we didn't learn straight away because the, the following year we had the dream team of John Barnes and Kane Douglas uh, as director of football, which which was which we all know how that ended in after the Inverness Cali game oh, and the headlines that followed. I suppose the highlight of that season was was we, we won the League Cup. We got a bit of silverware, a beautiful sunny day, and the ferry was... And, the, li- and, and the, the man that you mentioned, Vidar Rizev, he scored the first goal in the League Cup, didn't he? League Cup final against Aberdeen with a missed kick. I think it was one of these ones that went in off his shin, if I remember rightly. I'll have to take the video of that. Uh, I think in the Mount Florida end goal, yes. And then Tommy Johnson scored the second one and ran back with a Groucho Mark cigar going like this. <laughs> I think I think Tommy came off the bench that day. I think that's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I remember that day well. Beautiful sunny day. And then we got down to the ferry and we'd missed our ferry and we had to, um, we had to have the, I suppose we had to check out the hospitality in Stranra for the evening. <laughs> and uh, to which we did, but I think we ended up getting a lock in in a pub because I know I got home at 7 a.m. the next morning and I was due into work at 6. So that was, um, and that was probably pre mobile phone. So I had to wait to get home to ring in sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was another, I suppose, positive out of that season was I, if memory serves me right, Henry Glasson came back from the leg break. On the last game of the season, he did. He did. Yes. Yes. Indeed. And then we had the, we had the summer to wait for the announcement of himself, Martin O'Neill, and yeah, yeah, w- yeah. what a, an appointment that proved to be, David. That yeah, was that was. Um, we spoke before in the podcast. Um, that was a turning season, like the '65 season for Jock Steen mm-hmm. was. Yeah. 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 So things did eventually um, turn better, you know, the turn of the century. But uh, but no, uh, Doctor Joe, I was really quite um, quite sorry for him. The other thing about him as well, incidentally, was that he didn't have any great understanding of Scotland. 
Now, I think to be Celtic manager, you really have to understand Scotland. You've got to know about Scottish referees. You've got to know about Scottish pitches. You've got to know about the passions of the game in Scotland. And you really have to understand the Celtic Rangers divide. I mean, for example, Liam Brady clearly didn't understand it because uh, that uh, when we lost in the League Cup on another occasion to Airdrie, um, uh, Liam Brady was quoted as saying, oh yes, but Airdrie's a good team because they beat Aberdeen as well. You know, and that struck to me that, that struck me as saying that Liam Brady didn't understand Scotland. You know, and I think poor Joe didn't understand Scotland either um, because you have to, I mean, it's a, it's a study of a lifetime to understand Scotland's football, actually, I think, sometimes. You mentioned referees, Dale. You must have a book in you about referees, David. I don't always um, subscribe to the idea that uh, referees are institutionally against Celtic. I don't actually uh, think that that is always correct. There have been some you've wondered about, you'd have to say, you'd have to say, but uh, um, no, I, I, I was a referee myself when I was young, uh, junior football, uh, and also refereed in my teaching career quite a lot of schoolboys games. And I realised what a difficult game it is to, to, to referee. And, and it's also possible to have what you think is a very good game, that you've had a good game, but you've actually given a few stinkers against one particular team. You know, I've, I found myself doing that quite a lot, you know. And the other thing I found out about refereeing and also umpiring cricket matches, which I, I also did, was I never actually went to a game determined that I was going to put this particular team in their place. You know, I never went with a, a preconceived hatred against any particular team, either in football or cricket. But during the course of a game, you could certainly take a rather violent dislike to one particular individual. That was certainly possible. And you wouldn't be human as a referee or an umpire if you didn't admit to that sort of thing. But no, I don't always think that the referees are institutionally pro-Rangers or anti-Celtic. Um, as I say, there are times I've wondered about that and uh, I'm prepared to respect the, the opinions of those who disagree with me. Uh, and some of the things that you see on when played back, like the incident we're talking about last night at, uh, at Easter Road, well, um, I think the gentleman concerned uh, really should suffer for that. Yeah, it's just a pity you weren't refereeing last night and John Fallon wasn't the linesman, maybe. Because then, then we, not only would he have been sent off, he would have been dragged off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, obviously, Joe came in, Barnes came in, they weren't successful, they leave, they move on, Martin stayed, Strachan stayed, Lennon stayed, Ronnie stayed, Brendan. The only one that was was released was Tony Mowbray in, in in that period, which 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 I always thinks when you've got a manager for a couple of seasons, it gives you some stability. Obviously, Brendan Brendan left under circumstances that still haven't been explained by anyone, but I'm sure I'm sure someday we'll find out the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But we now are in a situation at the club, David, where we have a player. Managing the, managing the club who had a very successful career as a player won so much with us was a good captain a good leader mm-hmm. came in as caretaker manager under under Tony Mowbray when, when Tony Mowbray left got the position you know his CV includes beating the famous Barcelona including the, the brilliant Messi he was there when we players came in like Virgil van Dijk Fraser Foster Wanyama that was all, you know, the club made a lot of money on when they sold them on, but they, they were great They were great players for us. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. obviously, 
at that time when he left, it was you know he, he thought he brought the club as far as he could, and he, he soon realised that life wasn't as rosy in, in Edinburgh or down in Bolton. Meanwhile, Brennan's doing what he he's he, what he brought the success and the players he brought in and so forth. Then Brennan leaves overnight. Neil comes in, beats Hibbs, I think, in the cup mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in the first game. So, you know, instantly he's... he's I, think, well, I, think, I think the first game was against Hearts at Tynecastle, was it not? I, I, you could be right, yeah. Uh, then it was Hibbs Easter Road, yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember people queuing up for selfies with Peter Lawwell outside Easter Road that day. I don't think they'd be queuing up at the moment um, for selfies. Well, not many, anyway. So so, so Neil, Neil comes back in then. He's given the job permanently. Kind of mixed reaction from the fans. But this season, it's just gone... It's just gone car crash. It's just gone so wrong for him. Yeah, I don't really think I'm prepared to blame entirely the uh, world situation of the pandemic. I don't think so because let's face it, Rangers have coped with that far better than we have. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's any sort of an excuse. It is true that maybe Celtic missed their supporters more than other teams. That's probably the case, but we've got to learn to live with that, and we can't make that as any kind of an excuse. Um, I think so many players have just let Neil down. I think Neil's made a few mistakes. And the certainly the Dubai business, which was not necessarily taken by Neil Lennon, the decision was not taken by it was was a total disaster. But the other thing that we when you think about it, what we didn't do this year was cope with a defeat by Rangers. Now I often think that you're gonna get beat from Rangers now and again. A test of a good manager and a good team is how they get on in the next game and the next game after that. Now, both times that we lost the Rangers in, I think, October and in January, we went on a downer in both cases. And uh, that is uh, that is something that uh, does happen rather too much and indicates that there's something wrong in the team that they can't fight back from a, a defeat by Rangers. I don't necessarily think that... Um, I mean, I've often said that games against Rangers are a wee bit uh, overrated, um, uh, although it's a great thing for the fans, obviously. But the important thing is how you get on in other games immediately afterwards. And we fail to recover, shall we say, from uh, defeats by, by, by Rangers. Having said all that, I do think that uh, for uh, let's limit our horizons a wee bit, and I think we've got to keep on uh, keep Neil on and support him until the end of the season. Because I honestly do think we've got a, a reasonable chance of winning uh, five Scottish Cups in a row, which would be something. I mean, nobody's even won four Scottish Cups in a row apart from us. And uh, to win five Scottish Cups in a row would would really be something. And and I don't think we want to change our manager at this precise moment in time. Uh, I think probably a change of managership and a change of direction of the club is maybe inevitable in the summer. But I certainly think we should hold on to Neil in the meantime. I actually am a great fan of Neil Lennon. I have a great admiration for him. uh, And uh, I'm really sorry for, for what's happened to him. I think he has made a few misjudgments and uh, quite a few of his players have actually let him down uh, this particular year. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should mention the players. We had David Lowe on, on the podcast um, two episodes ago, uh, episode mm-hmm. 48, I think. He was saying that you know normally you, you've always got one or two players who want to move on. They want to play in a bigger, you know, the, mm-hmm. one of the big European leagues or they want to move down south. They want to earn the big dollars. And it's very manageable because it's only one or two, you know, maybe one this season, one next season, and it's very manageable. 
But he 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 said that it was his opinion that there was half the dressing room wanted away because he said the players who have no connection with with Celtic, you know, the the foreign players, you know, they're they're listening to agents, they're believing the hype. And um, they're looking for the move to the to the bigger leagues. They're using Celtic as a stepping stone. Mm. And he also said that the Scottish born players are in an international dressing room with Kieran with Kieran Tierney, and he's obviously they're obviously aware of what he's earning and what life is like outside of Celtic. And all these players, then, are, you know, all I want to go or is someone interested in me because they see how Tierney's doing down south. They see the money he's earning. And then what you have is you have all these players at the one time unhappy and looking for transfers. We've saw a young Frimpong away already mm-hmm. this week. So I think that might have played a part that, you know, he didn't have players that wanted to play for the jersey. I think what's also has not worked to Neil's advantage is that uh, Scott Brown has eventually hit the buffers. You know, Scott Brown is a, a player that, uh, I mean, I, I, again, I wouldn't have a bad word said about him. I think he's been a brilliant player uh, for Celtic since he joined in 2007, 2008, whenever it was. And I mean, the uh, medals that he's uh, earned proves it. But uh, he's now mid-30s, late-30s, and uh, frankly, he's now hit the buffers. I mean, I think he's uh, he's passed it for, for, for this level. You know, I, th- I still think he's a great player, and it's just uh, just unfortunate that he's um, this is his season that he um, he got too old. Sadly, yeah, do, do you think, David, um, that Dermot Desmond and the board are, are already have the, have the sons of two managers that are speaking to people? I would hope so. I would hope so. Yes, I think uh, I would hope so because it's getting to, it's getting to the stage now where you know, like I, I know I have a distrust of the media, but. Oh God! Every time a manager quits his job, he's now the favourite for the Celtic job. It mm-hmm. seems to be it seems to be one or two a week that we're linked with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and some of them are still in jobs. And it might be, it may be that they have someone in mind, but he's under contract at the end of the season, so they can't yeah, speak yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I tend to agree with you that although you know the majority of fans now seem to to want Neil to step aside or, or the board to sack him, but I, I do agree with you that um, change is coming. And mm-hmm. it may not come till the summer. Yeah, and we yeah. just might have to be patient. Yes, yeah, yeah. And in the meantime, concentrate on the Scottish Cup. I mean, I, I think if we if we win the Scottish Cup, it'll be not a bad season, or not as bad a season as it could have been, and we'll certainly be the only team that's ever won two Scottish Cups in one season. <laughs> and, and, and you would know that because you've wrote a book on the Scottish Cup. <laughs> indeed, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, David, I just mentioned that book now. Um, I think it's... 40 books in total and, and about 30 on Celtic. What's the latest books that are out that came out for the Christmas and you know, where can we buy them? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I've certainly done a book with um, uh, the, the Celtic Star website uh, on the early days of the club um, and uh, my one about the Scottish Cup, which was published uh, and should be, it's available in the Celtic bookstore and obviously on Amazon. I know bookshops aren't open these days, but uh, that's what, um, uh, it's certainly available there. And uh, this particular year, I'm working on a book about Alec McNair. You know, the icicle, I'm calling it Eck the Icicle. You know, Alec McNair, of course, the great, uh, um, I'm trying to look, is he in a picture behind you, Andrew? 
I don't think he is. I think I'd say, I think he's on the other side, um, as it were, of the ground. But uh, he was one of the great captains and great players of the of the club, you know, in the, the year of the years of the First World War, or before the First World War, and immediately afterwards. Great player. And that's so that's the latest thing. project keeping you busy. That's what's keeping me busy. Yes. I, I um, one of the benefits of lockdown is you can't really do anything else, you know. So <laughs> I'm uh, yes, I'm I'm busy. Yeah, well, it is. Um, it's. I look forward to reading it as I do all your books. And this one is one of the ones you enjoy because the last time you went on the podcast, you said you enjoy doing the players that are dead because you can't um, upset anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can actually, you can see things that upset somebody's great grandson if you're not careful, you know. But I try not to because, uh, I mean, Alec McNair would be a, a hagiography. Uh, a eulogy because uh, there's really not very much you could say uh, against him because he, he was such a, a great contribution to the to the club. You know, from again a non-Celtic-minded background, if that means anything at all, and I don't think it does. Yeah, and that that leads me up um, when we speak with these old players to my new time machine, which I don't think I had the last time you were on the podcast, but I, ha- I have a, I have a shined up for today for you now, but because. David, of your knowledge and I suppose your knowledge of the history of the club and you know the stories you've you've told in your books and the stories you've told us on the podcast and when we've done live events, um, they're always you know we when, when we hear David Potter speaking, we always learn something new because sometimes you can do an event with people and they go, oh, I've heard this, I've heard this before, I've heard this before, but never with David Potter because there's just so much history of the club in that, in that brain of yours. So I'm going to let you go out twice in the time machine, okay? The first time I want you to go out and tell us about a moment or a game you attended that you'd love to, you'd love to go back at. But then I want you to get back in the time machine and I want you to take us back somewhere in one of the books. Right, okay. No problem with that whatsoever. The, of the games that I've attended, but the one I would definitely love to go back to would be the Scottish Cup final of 1965. Celtic versus Dunfermline, not least because I want to get a better view from where I was at the top of terrace, the East Terracing, holding on to uh, the board that says 25, Gangway 25, maybe it was 24, I think it was 25, with my father, and uh, to see again a clear view of McNeil's winning goal. Because sadly, I can't really recollect that particular goal going in. I remember vaguely a corner kick, and I certainly remember the uh, the celebrations afterwards. But I can't remember. I just remember my father saying, "Billy McNeil, Billy McNeil, Billy McNeil," and I actually, you know, I was going to argue him because I thought it might have been Tommy Gemmell. Because from a distance, I mean, the way at the top, the top of the old Hamden Terrace, and you're miles away. You're miles away from the uh, the far end, and it could have been Tommy Gemmell for all I was aware. But I would like to have a, just a clear view of that one going. I've seen it obviously on film from other angles and so on, and I remember vividly the other two goals. The first goal where Charlie Gallagher shot from uh, uh, halfway inside the Dunfermline half, hit the bar, and it was oh, and it went up in the air, and Bertie always had it in. I remember that vividly, vividly. And also uh, the second one, a good combination move between Lennox and Old uh, just at the start of the second half, which brought us level again. I, I remember the rest of the game with, with great vividity and great clarity, even to the extent 
that I was worried at full-time whistle that I was going to wake up and discover it had all been a dream. I was worried about that. I kept, you know, quite literally pinching myself. But no, no, it's reality. We did actually win the Scottish Cup because that was a great, great occasion for me, 1965. So if I can I go back and see that one again, all right? Then I'll come, I haven't done that, I shall come out to go to a game that I wasn't there. And again, it's a Scottish Cup final. It's exactly 40 years previously. It's the Patsy Gallagher Scottish Cup final. I would love to see exactly how that goal was scored. We are told that he had the ball between his legs and he somersaulted back into the uh, into the net. Uh, unfortunately, we've just got cartoons of it happening in the Daily Courier. They show that after when he was entangled in the net and so on. Uh, but I would just love to see that goal going in. Uh, I don't think I'll have any other chance other than in your time machine of seeing that. And my father, who was at that game, he has no clear recollection of that uh, goal going in either. What he does remember vividly is the, um, uh, the, the winning goal, the goal that was scored by Jimmy McGrory. Uh, he, um, he remembers that one vividly because he was standing in uh, uh, the north enclosure, just level with where McGrory was. And the line, as the players lined up when Gene McFarlane took the, uh, the the free kick and the ball came across and he just saw the line of players and he just saw one of them with a green and white jersey catapulting forward. There was a line, if you could imagine a line with your hand and then just sort of went like that. And that was what he said it was like. And, and I knew that because um, it was one of the things that, uh, that happened in my household, was played in my household quite a lot in the 1960s, where I had to pretend to be Gene McFarlane uh, and take the free kick with a balloon usually, and my father would dive over a settee and score the goal. And always saying, and a green and white figure catapulted forth as Jimmy McGrath. And he also told me that Gene McFarlane, before he took the free kick, he took the stockings, uh, he took his stockings and he pulled up his stockings before he took the free kick. All right, I'd love to see that again. All right, that's 1925. Are you sure you went to that game? You know an awful lot about some detail. <laughs> if you're a father like me and like mine, you have no choice of knowing quite a lot about Celtic in the old days, I can assure you. Uh, just just for the listeners, they... I, they 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 won't be able to see it, but I can. He he was he was living every um, header and every kick when we chatted about games in this interview. David, before I let you go, um, just on the books, I just want to congratulate you on them. Though, though. It's a magnificent collection of books that you've you've wrote and some you've co-wrote over the years, and your contribution to, I suppose, um, the Celtic history for you know the fandom we call it fandom and. As well as that, I'd like to thank you for all the stuff you, you, you send us for the website and for the fans in because you've m- many, many years. But there's, I, was, I was listening back to our first chat on the podcast from, I think it was October, so that of October. And I mentioned to you that in one of the um, fanzines that you, it was around the time of um, the greatest ever Celtic team. And you, I asked you to come up with an alternative one from before the 60s. And you came up with that, and I said I'd dig it out, and uh, I never did because I, I I don't know what issue it's in. But you'll have to do something like that again. You'll have to dig it. You'll have to write something on it because you also you also named um, 
uh, a great Protestant team in the last podcast, all the Protestant players. And if they were playing, you reckon if they played the Catholics, the Catholics would still win. But boy, God, it was some Protestant team you had, which just shows, David, that we are really different and we are a club for all and we always have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I don't think um, that would be any team in the world, though, whether what religion they are, would be able to get their defence, would not be able to get the better of the inside trio of uh, McMenemy, McGrory and Gallagher. I mean, he just couldn't get the better of that team, you know. And Jimmy Quinn waiting as a substitute. Now, Jimmy Quinn's probably, uh, in some ways, my own favourite. But, uh, uh, you know, you could put him in the set. He sometimes played in the left wing. Put him in the left wing, you know. And I'm afraid no team of whatever religion or uh, background of whatever would get the better of that lot. Brilliant, brilliant. As I said, David, thank you very much. And it's always always a pleasure to chat to you and to learn a bit more about Celtic because I always do every time I speak to you and every time I read your stuff. So listen, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks very much for climbing on a time machine. And thanks very much for letting us into your Celtic soul again. Okay, right. But anytime, Andrew, anytime. I'm willing to talk about Celtic... 24-7. You're a bit like John Fallon. Aye, oh, oh, yes, yes. It's an obsession that, uh, you know, dwarfs anything else in your life. No certainly it does, and uh, hopefully next season we'll all be back standing outside the Superstore exchanging stories again. I hope so. Talking to John Fallon as well, yes. He'll be giving out anyway, he always is. Yes, indeed. Aye, aye, aye. Aye, John Fallon's one of these chaps you usually hear him before you see him, you know, but he's... Uh, <laughs> He's not quiet. He's not shy or anything like that, John. You know. Well, you would know. You wrote his book. Ah, uh, indeed. He was a great man to work for as well. Actually, he's a he's a, he's a great great self, great man as John Fallon. He sure is. Uh, as I said, thank you very much, David. Thanks very much, Andrew. Always good to hear David on the podcast. David is my go-to man for Celtic history and facts, and I always enjoy chatting to him. His knowledge and passion for Celtic is unquestionable. Don't forget to check out his books. All the details will be in the podcast description. I'm feeling the love, folks, for the fans in. More than 90 minutes, issue 112. The print edition sold out. Isn't it great to say that sold out? You can still download the digital edition if you want to read it at celticfansin.com. Issue 113 deadline is today, so plenty of quality articles coming in from all the contributors. And I have a busy weekend, but it's going to be very enjoyable reading all the quality stuff coming in. So a big thank you to everyone who bought Issue 112 and everyone who subscribes or has subscriptions with us. Thank you so much. Anyone taking out a 12-month subscription will receive a free t-shirt, and if it's a quarterly subscription, we'll throw in a, a little badge. All in the post to you. You'll also get a digital copy of each issue, and you can log into our download of all the back issues. With no match day sales and without your support, there would be no print edition. So again, thanks very, very much. You can also support us by visiting our online shop where you'll find our t-shirts and merchandise. And we post all orders out that come in before noon on the same day. So keep an eye out for, on the website for our February sale. It's really our January sale, but we just couldn't be asked to do it in January. But we're not a lockdown now. We've plenty of time to get all the stuff sorted. And you can, you'll look lovely during the lockdown in a new t-shirt. All dressed up but nowhere to go. As always, I have to thank my good friend Ronan McQuillan for producing the show. Thank you, Ronan. So, folks, once again, if you like what we're doing and you would like to support us because we need your support, visit CelticFansing.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. And look, if you can't afford it, we'll keep the content free when we can. So, listen, thanks very much for your support. Don't forget to visit the website for articles and news. And you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is free as well, and get uh, bits and pieces on that from us. Plus, don't forget to download our app. It's free and you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video, info and upcoming events, the fanzine, 
our online shop, blah, 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 all at the touch of a button on, on your phone or tablet. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we're also on LinkedIn, and the details are in the podcast description. So once again, thanks again to our podcast sponsor, Blarney Windows, and the Pack Lavin Cork Number 1 Celtic Supporters Club down in Cork. Charlie, thank you so much for your support. Much appreciated. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like the podcast and would like to sponsor us, we'd love you to sponsor us. Contact us at info at CelticFansin.com through the website or on social media. We take all major currencies, checks, credit cards and butter vouchers. If you enjoyed the conversation with today's guest, David Potter, can I recommend you listen back to David's first time in the podcast with us back in episode 32 when David chatted to us about all things Celtic, including his early memories and that famous night in Lisbon in 1967. Lisbon Lion John Fallon has been with us a number of times. He was with us first in episode 2 and he also opened up his Celtic soul to us in much detail in episodes 22 and 23. He also spoke to former goalkeepers Rob Douglas in episode 34 and Barry John Carr episode 27. So some perfect lockdown listening for you there folks. Well that's it for me for another podcast. Enjoy the weekend. Try to get out in the fresh air for a stroll if you're in lockdown like me. I'll be watching the game on the sofa again. Celtic v Motherwell from the armchair. Doesn't sound as good as from the terrace, but look, that's where we are. But there are some Celtic fans on the other side of the globe who are lucky enough to be meeting up with fellow fans in the pub to watch the match. I am very jealous, but enjoy. Especially those in Sydney. My old mates in Sydney keep winding me up. I think the boys in Dubai. And I think some of the American boys are able to get out and watch it. So, as I said, enjoy. And hopefully we'll get the three points. We want to lend our support to musicians and artists who have been hit the hardest by the lockdown restrictions with no gigs and no venues to perform in. So send your material into us and we'll give you a plug and play out of each show with one of your tunes or poems or whatever you do. This week we once again play out with the brilliant Declan McLaughlin from his also brilliant new album The Path of Most Resistance. Last week we sang out with Shadows. And this week we sing out with Gilbert. Ah, good man, Ronan, the musician in the house. Folks, Christy Moore and Damien Dempsey are raving about this album. Go on. I know a few people bought her after the last podcast, but get online there and pick up. You can download a copy or you can get a CD in the post and support Declan. He is absolutely brilliant. So that's all for this episode, folks. Stay tuned, stay safe, and as always, keep the faith. I got out last Christmas After serving all my time To a world that won't forgive me Though I've long paid for my crime Those prison guards were laughing As he opened up that gate There was no one there to meet me No reason to go straight And it's hard to swing a hammer When all you've known's a gun And you like that easy money Cause it buys you so much fun I used to know this girl called Trouble We used to shoot a little bit of coke But you know those mixed up orphan girls Can never take a joke she was always milk and honey Someone to treat her good I was just a junkie Saving up to be a hood Cause money buys you freedom And good drugs will get you friends May the road rise up to meet you May your party, may your party 
come and meet me For I took all the blame But I hear that she's found Jesus I hope she's born again For the devil brings a bottle And the good Lord feels the pain And guides you through these wicked streets Back to his light again For life is overrated And death is just a lie Jesus says he loves her But so do I, so do I So do I And down below the mission Where the lights never go out I heard somebody whisper And it sounded like your voice You said you'd love me till you die My little bird, don't you cry We'll sing a jailbird lullaby We'll sing a deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.